I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, your source for Pac-12 gambling advice with William Hills, Max Meyer, and the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model with Mr. Rob Bauer. And thank you for joining us again. And you can follow us on Twitter at 12-Pack Radio. Subscribe on any podcast. We hope that this show can um, bring some light into what is happening uh, out there everywhere. If, if you like the show, please make sure to share it. Um, and we also would love feedback right now. I think everybody is in their homes and we would just like to bring some levity and, and a distraction by talking about Pac-12 football. And we will continue previewing every uh, position for the conference coming into the 2020 season, uh, hoping that it happens this year. And we're starting with, uh, we started with the quarterbacks. We've done the running backs. We're doing wide receivers this week, and we will move on to other positions as we continue to ro- roll along. But we will continue recording weekly. Thanks again for joining us. I am joined, as always, by Mr. Rob Bowen. What's going on, Rob? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm present, man. Like it is, <laughs> I don't know about you guys and how your work's going. I am way busier than I was, um, like when I was heading into the office, but <laughs> I'm in, um, fundraising. So it is a, uh, very interesting time this last week. Uh, it was getting like our last hurrah in terms of proposals that were outstanding. So I completely agree with you there on that front, but still made sure to do a lot of research. And it's, it's this weird paradox where, I, I like I like our show having a lot of energy and uh, and you know pushing forward, but at the same time it's it's a difficult time. And I'm and we're joined by Max Meyer from William Hill, who covers the sports gambling world and is a Pac-12 expert. And Max, j- how about you just open with just some devastating news in the Pac-12? Yeah, so obviously coronavirus has been a major part of all of our lives, uh, but tragedy struck this week in Pullman as uh, Washington State. Uh, senior safety Bryce Beekman died. And while we can't confirm yet it, it is from coronavirus, uh, reports are saying that he uh, called police and said that he uh, had breathing problems before he passed. And obviously, and difficulty breathing is one of the uh, biggest red flags for coronavirus. But they're saying that uh, an autopsy and investigation regarding the death uh, will be taking place over the next couple months. But yeah, just a, a very big uh, tragedy in the sports world, especially in Pullman, uh, where Tyler Holinsky, uh, the former Washington State quarterback, uh, committed suicide a couple of years ago. And while obviously that's a different um, type of death, but just losing two players within a, a, such a short span and, and, and seeing their lives cut this short, it's, it's just really tough times in Pullman. Yeah. And just a reminder for everybody, like this is going to impact 
a whole lot of people and just make sure to stay safe. And uh, I know we were talking about bringing some levity, but I also want to highlight the reality of what's going on. Rob, just, I mean, for that team to suffer two just tragic deaths at a young age on the team. And when you think of sports teams, particularly in football, I'm like, these are really close knit communities. And uh, I just can't even put myself in a position of a player on that team. I mean, and there's nothing, I mean, right now, and it's, it's, it's really tough because with all the restrictions in place, like you, you can't go out and, and console people, you know, you can't go out and, and find, you know, be yourself consoled, you know, like you, uh, you as a team are limited in what you can do together in the same way that we all are. Um, right. And so that, you know, I, I certainly hope everyone in Washington uh, and, you know, in Pullman and, you know, around the Washington state community is, is reaching out, you know, however they can, you know, but this is going to be something that's really, really tough to work through and find closure on because um, in a lot of cases right now, I mean, like in a lot of states and I think Washington state is included. I mean, even funerals are suspended at the, for the time being, you know, all public gatherings are. Yeah. I, I think once this clears, and, and we don't know how long that is. It is absolutely certain that the return of sports will be, I think, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about sports. That's why I cover sports. That's why I follow sports, because there are a few things uh, now where an entire community can rally around things. And sports remains one of those. I always make the argument that it's sports and music um, that rallies different people from different backgrounds and different cultures. And, uh, you know, the, the return of the college football season when that happens will be such a big moment, I think for the country. And I really hope that Washington state does something really special. If you know, I mean, even regardless of how, um, how the player died, just being able to like honor his memory and honor team and honor that community will, will I think be a really special moment. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And as we continue recording, as the season opens, uh, we'll make sure to, um, to put, put some extra attention on that because it's certainly warranted, you know, with, that all being said, in regards to sports being a um, a point of like joy and happiness and heartbreak, but all like for for the right reasons, we want to keep continuing our coverage of Pac-12 uh, football. And again, the last couple of weeks, we were talking about quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers is this week. And it was really interesting looking at some of the players that are in the conference, because there's some really special players that won't just uh, bring a lot of joy to people in the Pac-12, but they'll be playing on Sundays. And what we wanted to do is what we've been doing the last couple of weeks, which is put these uh, put these teams core uh, into different grouping. So we're going to do probably let's do tier one, tier two and tier three. And um, the good thing about the wide receiving core is like most most of these uh, receiving units are returning a number of starters where sometimes the running backs, you, you didn't know who was coming back like ASU is like, who's going to be the running back? I don't know. They'll probably be good. But here we definitely have a lot more returning starters. So let's start with you, Max, when we're going through the Pac-12 and we're looking at the talent that we have in the conference, who would you rank as the top uh, the top team in the best position uh, as a unit to really put some points up on the board in 2020? Uh, to me, this is a no brainer. Not that there aren't other really good uh, wide receiving quarters in the conference, but I, I just think USD and all the talent they have collected there, it's just incredibly impressive, even though they lost uh, Michael Pittman to the draft. But you still have Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Bond, and that's probably the best one-two punch uh, in, in the conference and, and definitely one of the better ones in the country. And then Drake London, who definitely emerged down the stretch as a true freshman last year, 
uh, he's a threat. And they have all of these other young five-star, four-star talents. I mean, USC, the, the one area that they usually always really strongly recruit uh, under Clay Helton has been wide receiver. And they have a lot of options there, again. Yeah, it's interesting, Rob, when we're talking about USC – Clay Helton is just it's that that wet blanket that he's like the cooler you know at the blackjack table he just brings everybody down but the talent is there at USC and I think one of the themes that you're going to hear on this podcast is it's USC and Oregon and everybody else moving into this coming season and there's a reason why USC is in there and they're always in there with talent but when you take a look at the new offensive system and how that was able to be implemented in year one uh, with Graham Harrell and the quarterback that they have there and now you have these wide receivers that just are amazing Tyler Vaughn's um, had almost a thousand yards. He had six touchdowns, and then Amon Ross St. Brown crossed a thousand yard threshold. And these are two guys that have size, they have speed, they uh, they look like that prototypical NFL quarterback. And it's going to be really hard to stop both of them. And then you have people behind them as well. Yeah, and USC certainly, while they, I think you can argue the offensive line sort of hindered what their running backs could do. Um, they balled out throwing the ball last season. Um, you know, they had no trouble, you know, with Graham Harrell and Slovis uh, getting the ball into the the hands of their talented wide receivers. So I, I, I like all of these guys to have big gears this year, so long as, <clears throat> I mean, Slovis or, you know, and Daniels both uh, stay healthy and that they're not going any further down their QB depth chart like they had to a few times last year. Like, I, I really like what this wide receiver unit is going to do. Um, and there's, there as you guys said, I mean, there's, there's guys, I mean, Brew McCoy is a big time player. Um, who was really, I mean, had, you know, the, the transfer issues and then he had some medical issues. And so we really didn't see him last year. Uh, I'm excited to see Brew McCoy play. Um, he was a big time recruit that they got back from Texas. Um, you know, Kyle Ford, Gary Bryant, these are all guys that are, you know, are, should be able to do big things in this offense too, if, if given a shot. But I mean, the, the, they're, they might end up farther down the depth chart. Yeah. Brew McCoy, Max was the number two athlete in the class of 2019, Kyle Ford was the number nine wide receiver in the class of 2019. And Gary Bryant was the number seven wide receiver of the 2020 class. And these guys might not even see the field uh, very much when you take a look at some of the other people. I want you to highlight uh, those guys. But one of the things I wanted to bring up was the fact that you have a guy like Drake London. He's 6'5", 200 pounds. And in a in an offense that featured Michael Pittman, Tyler Vons, and Amon Ross St. Brown, you had a true freshman come out and bring in almost 40 passes for 560 yards and five touchdowns as a true freshman on that field. That's really impressive, and I'm excited to see a lot of him going into this coming year. Yeah, and I I just think one of the more impressive things about USC's wideouts is that they have freshmen like this contributing almost every year. Like, I mean, Vaughn's when he was a freshman like he really broke out on the scene uh and then it even goes back to like the uh, I, I the most impressive uh collegiate wide receiver that I, I've ever seen in the Pac-12 is, is Marquise Lee and I just remember him as a freshman and he just completely tore up every secondary he faced uh and, and the game I always remember is the game at, uh, at Autzen against Oregon where USC escaped that game 38-35 but Lee was like having jump balls and just completely um, owning these Oregon defensive backs. And I, I think with USC, I mean, they, they attract so much top-tier talent that 
they that really these players can emerge like from day one. And so I, I, I can definitely see uh, a case this year again where a, a fourth wideout uh, could be like a McCoy or a Ford or Gary Bryant. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Rob, we're going to keep this back rub going for USC because I have a special spot <laughs> in my in my heart for tight ends that actually catch balls and are productive outside of blocking and blocking is incredibly important. I t- like I'm not poo-pooing that at all. But I also think that having really strong tight ends that are bigger and stronger and can move that ball forward in an offensive system can be really special. And USC is one of those teams alongside Oregon that's not afraid to throw the ball to a tight end. And I just think it's fascinating here, you guys, because the two guys that were starting for USC this year might be pushed down the roster for better, more talented uh, tight ends, particularly with the return of Daniel Amatabebe, who um, is just a physical specimen that has always been on that like edge but he actually returns he's full uh, he has his eligibility looks like he has his head on straight and um can be really really important for usc as another option to move the ball down the field yeah i mean i it is it's tough to recruit a you know a multifaceted tight end that you can trust to execute blocks and execute in the passing game but usc certainly has the pull to be able to do that um it, it, it will be interesting to see, you know, those two guys were not, you know, um, Fallow and, geez, Karmakoic? <laughs> whatever. I know, you, you Just, probably know, Max. It, How do you say that guy's name? It was like four Ks That's in it. Fine. The, uh, they weren't they weren't huge factors in the passing game last year. And it is, if you have this kind of wide receiver talent in USC, it's, it's tough not to put four wide receivers on the field. So I will be interested to see if they do stick with some 11 personnel this season uh, and get the tight ends involved. Much like, I mean, people say that like Oklahoma doesn't run the air raid because Oklahoma is often an 11 personnel. Well, Oklahoma runs the air raid. They just, you know, have the tight end run air raid routes like, and, and, they, because they can recruit a tight end that can play at that level. Um, USC, you know, if you could have that, it's an absolute weapon to have in the middle of the field. Max, are are we blowing up the tight ends too much? Like, how do you think that they're going to contribute in uh, in the coming year? Well, I mean, USC, um, I, they, they haven't utilized their tight ends uh, that much uh, in recent seasons. But actually, last year, like, there, there were some uh, occasional emer- emergences, but... Yeah, I mean, the, the wide receivers are going to steal the show. The tight ends will have occasional big plays here and there. But it, it's it's St. Brown and Bonds and um, and London. Those, those are the big three to really keep an eye on. Okay. All right, let's move to number two. And I think the units here, um, I actually have three teams. I'm sorry, I have four teams in the first tier. I think the next three. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, I do. I do. I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk about it. Um, and, Rob, I think actually the three – uh, teams below USC uh, are are quite fascinating. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, what happens on the field is different than what happens on paper. But I do think that there's a lot of talent in the next couple teams in this tier. So who would be your number two? So I got to be honest. I think USC is the only tier one school in the conference. Okay. I think the other schools. I think the other schools have some nice talent. I don't think that they're anywhere near where USC is. And I think the fall off is. I mean. I'm like, you can, I, I know like there are some, some guys, you know, like Brian Addison at Oregon, 
um, Puka Nakua, Washington that people get excited about, but like, there's a difference between a four star and a five star kid for a reason. Um, like I just, I look across, I don't think anybody has and is going to have, um, the kind of talent that USC has and, and position them in the way that USC will this season. Um, so yeah, I mean like at me, like I, I'll say it. I don't, I, I think that, the, I think that there is only one tier one wide receiver group in the conference. Um, I think that there are some very nice wide receiver groups after that. Um, you know, you might say are like B pluses, um, but I wouldn't put anybody else, uh, near USC. Well, let's take a look at Oregon here. You have Johnny Johnson is returning who caught for about 800 yards and seven touchdowns. He averaged about 15 yards a catch. They returned Jalen red. Who's that five, eight kind of like water buggy ish guy. Um, and, but I think it's the promise of the guys coming up. And if you take a look at the way that Oregon has been recruiting, there's actually a couple other teams like this with uh, Michael Pittman, brother of Micah Pittman, who was a top wide receiver in 2019, who he only had 18 receptions and 225 yards this last year, but he was injured. And I think when he was on the field, he was excellent. And he's going to continue to be strong um, as a wide receiving option. You have Brian Addison, who was uh, the number two athlete in 2018. He gets on the field. Josh Delgado, who was a top wide receiver in 2019, gets on the field. They also get Devin Williams, who was a top uh receiver for Oregon that transferred over to, I'm sorry, for USC that transferred from USC over to Oregon. He'll see the field. Um, You have a tight end in Spencer Webb that was able to prove himself as being able to have production. And then if you go down and take a look at who else Oregon has received, like has recruited, they recruited the number 10 wide receiver in 2019 and Lance, I think it's Willett. Uh, Isaiah Crocker was a a top 25 wide receiver. And then in 2020, you have a guy like uh, Chris Hudson, uh, who was a top 20. I mean, like it's, it's blue chip everywhere. It's, on the level of USC, the biggest difference, no. and this is why I would put USC at the top. No, those are like all those, but all those guys are like four-star guys. Um, well, Addison wasn't, um, and then I would argue. So, like, I mean, Addison, Addison was a four-star guy who was he was uh, he was like he was he's the number two athlete, but he wasn't he wasn't a five-star. Oh, okay. Um, I just think that there's a difference between like Arizona four-star guys and Oregon four-star guys. Like, yeah. Oh no, I'm not like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue that like Oregon's not like a tier above like most of the rest of the conference, but um, I, I think you look at that talent. Like I think if you're Oregon, you would trade every single one of those guys for USC's wide receivers. Like every like I don't think that there's a player on USC's wide in wide wide receiver room that you wouldn't trade one of those guys for. What do you think, uh, Max? No, I. I... I, I'm I'm with Rob. I I just think that Vaughn's and St. Brown and what, like th- those guys all would be number one options for Oregon. And 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 yeah. some of the guys that Oregon have, like they're I I'm with Rob. Like I think that they're number two. Like I uh, I have three teams below USC like that are really close to each other on that second tier, and, and Oregon leads yeah. that for me. But yeah, I mean Johnny Johnson, uh, he definitely flashed, and, and he's the clear number one wide out there. Uh, Red is really shifty, and he can get open uh, nicely. Uh, Micah Pittman, I was really impressed with when he was healthy uh, last season as a freshman. I, I, he definitely has number one wide receiver potential. Uh, Addison, a freak athlete. Uh, Spencer Webb, uh, when um, Jacob Breland went down last year, uh, not as consistent a threat at tight end as, as Breland, but at, at least it's something. I mean, there are so many uh, uh, teams that, that don't even have a, a threat at tight end, and at least Webb has some juice there. So, 
Yeah, I mean, Oregon has 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 a nice stable of uh, pass catchers, but I still think it's a far ways away from USC. So you you would put them in a second tier, like it's yes. USC at one, and there's no one A. Yeah. It's tier two. Okay, all right. Um, do we want to talk more about Oregon's wide receivers, or like we can go to the next one? Is there any, any other? I don't want to say like like I I don't want to say like I think that I'm like coming off as like super negative, like you're not USC, but like I think these guys are good. Like, and I think Addison and like some of these guys. Some of it you could argue was, you know, maybe Oregon was a little overcommitted to running the football. Maybe Justin Herbert didn't, you know, didn't do with the ball what he was supposed to do all the time. Um, you know, like I think these guys have a chance, you know, to be better and show more of what they got for sure. Um, and Addison in particular, I think, has a chance to step in because they could definitely use a like in the same uh, the same way they used uh, Jawan Johnson last season, you know, when they needed, you know, a big guy to go out there and get the ball. Um, you know, Addison can be that um, if he can crack the starting lineup. Yeah, and like Rob's saying, like USC, though, like their receiving core is top three in the country good, and no one else in the Pac-12, I, yeah. I, I doubt anyone else in the Pac-12 is like top 10, top 15. So it, it's not like that these receiving cores are bad, it's just that USC is just so elite. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, well, we covered Oregon. Max, who would you have below Oregon here in the Pac-12? It's so the two that I'm deciding between are Stanford and Washington State. I think I'm going to go Stanford. Um, I like I, I granted like no one really emerged from that group last year, um, but besides their tight end. But now that now the tight end is gone. But I mean Stan, at Stanford, uh, Kobe Parkinson was the tight end who departed. But at Stanford, I mean they, they grow tight ends like dime a dozen out there. So. I think that they'll have a replacement there. But even though there wasn't like a clear alpha number one, I really like all the uh, some of the guys like uh, Michael Wilson and Osiris St. Brown, who is Amon Ross St. Brown's brother, uh, Connor Weddington uh, and and Wilson. are th- Those guys are both game breakers versus uh, Semi uh, Fajoko. If you've watched Stanford football, especially inside the red zone, you know they love the fades. And Sammy, he's he's gonna be the one that goes up and, and gets those not no longer KJ Costello balls, but Davis Mills <laughs> jump balls. I but yeah, uh, but I um for me like Stanford and Washington State are pretty close, but I I think with Stanford I I guess that I I feel like that they have more of a pedigree, and I I really and I liked what I saw from them uh, last season overall. I agree with you. I had Stanford as number three. The one quibble I would have was uh, Semi Fioco. It wasn't just a he wasn't just a jump ball guy. Like he averaged twenty five yards a catch, and there was a number of big plays that he that Stanford had. And I, I, it might just be because I'm a <laughs> a sucker for punishment and watched a lot of a lot more Stanford games than I probably should have last year. But he for me emerged as that guy where I'm like, wow. Like he he will be good next year and hopefully in the coming year if he sticks around because he certainly has the size and was able to go out and make some big plays for Stanford and that was a team that really needed some big plays and then you add hopefully a little bit more consistency on the quarterback position and I think he'll have a really big year I was really really excited to watch him play and like you mentioned too Max like Michael Wilson was a player that uh, came out and really was able to prove himself he had about 675 yards five touchdowns um, and came in and was able to play as I think he was an undergrad he was either a freshman or a sophomore if I don't uh, if I recall Uh, and it was interesting because both those guys emerged when I thought 
Osiris St. Brown was going to be the guy there. And he was really buried under those two guys. And like you mentioned, there's a ton of tight ends, Rob, uh, that are farmed <laughs> at the farm. And so I'm not as worried on the tight end front, but curious what you think about their lineup of, of wide receivers. Yeah, I really like this. I really like this group and I, I like it because they're all good. I mean, for the most part, they're really good route runners. Um, and Stanford manages to put them in positions where they're often in a mismatch, right? Like you could put Weddington, you know, in the slot, you know, maybe, maybe get lucky and have a linebacker. Maybe then, you know, the, the other team's nickel corner can't really stick with them. Um, and you can hit them on a bend route and Stanford does that kind of stuff exceptionally well. Um, yeah, I, I, I like this group a lot. I think that they're going to do, I think they're going to do big things. I really don't expect Stanford to figure out how to run the football again. It's just the play calling. that That's the biggest worry on that front. Uh, yeah, that's the, true. The talent is there. These are all blue chip players. And they also have like two top 25 kids that were in the last two classes that they've recruited. So when you like when you think of Stanford, oftentimes I always think of like blue chip defense and blue chip quarterback and blue chip tight ends. But they've really filled out that wide receiver uh, core in, in regards of like really top tier talent with pedigree that um, and a number of them have started to show it on the field. But uh, I, you know, I'm curious. You, you had mentioned Washington State, Max. Um, Washington is also a program that I would have in that tier. Um but they haven't proven themselves. And I gotten some back and forth with Washington people that were talking about how uh, Washington's core is better than USC. And that's wrong. I, I, yeah, I know that is like, yeah. Oh my God. I, Washington, guys, like you need to stop drinking the purple Kool-Aid. Like that is, that is poison. Yeah, that exactly. Poison. Love Washington, love Washington fans want Washington to be really successful you are still wrong. <laughs> like all the things, all those things taken, you were wrong on that front. Um, but I wasn't as impressed with the wide receiving core at Washington state because they lost so much. So, and I love Tay Martin, like do not get me wrong. I think he's going to blow up this year. I'm just curious, Max, why you would have Washington state over Washington. Um, when the, there certainly is a lot of pedigree with Puka Nakua and some of the other people there, like, uh, I think it was Marquise Spiker. Um, why, why do you have Washington State ahead of Washington? Well, I just think with Washington State, like, I'm with you. Like, I think Tay Martin, true, uh, he can definitely be a number one wideout this year. But even though that Washington State lost a lot, they had a lot of wide receiver depth. And they still have plenty of returning production there versus Washington. I mean, Washington loses a lot, too. Right? They lose their uh, biggest matchup nightmare in Hunter Bryant. They lose their most reliable uh, receiver, I-, I think, in Aaron Fuller. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I mean, other guys like McClatcher, I mean, they, they, they lost a lot of production and I think Puka Nakua, uh, when he was healthy, which admittedly, once he like broke onto the scene, he, he got injured and was out for the season shortly later, but he definitely has star potential, but I don't really like, they have, they have some nice raw talent, but I think that it's going to be a year before this group really comes together it'll be interesting because you take a look at washington state tay martin really is the only guy with size that balled out i mean roderick fisher certainly is he's 6'2 200 almost and uh but only had about 250 yards in that offense and i understand that the ball goes around to everybody but i think fisher really needs to step up in regards to being able to give a, another body cuz everybody else they have renard bell uh, travel harris are all under 59 and washington state now the one thing with washington state recruiting is you always take it with a grain of salt because leach 
always finds a way to pick up guys that are under recruited and put him into that system. But you have a different system now, Rob. I, I don't I don't know. I I I, t- I sometimes I overrate size and strength. Um, but I like I'm more apt to take the pedigree at Washington. Um, although like. <laughs> Their offensive play caller, like good lord, and who's going to throw to them? So maybe, maybe, maybe not. Josh maybe Donovan what? era. Come on. I don't um, know. What do you think about both of those teams? So I mean, like, this is. I think this is true. Like I think it, it, it's the same thing that we said for USC. You know, like you know, you trade. Like I think if you were Washington State, with the exception maybe of, of Tay Martin, like you would trade just about anybody for anybody on Washington for in Washington's wide receiver room. I think talent wise, there's a big disparity there and like pure raw talent. Now that said, like, I mean, the main difference I think is, um, you know, like the, in the run and shoot, like how, how quick are these receivers going to pick that up? Because it is the run and shoot is about knowing option routes, right? Like it is, it is, it is a, you know, much more fluid, um, it's a much more fluid system than the air raid is certainly. And no spring um, ball too. I mean, they're going to, yeah, <laughs> pick like, that I would, up on the I fly. would not have to pick up the, I would not have to want to pick up the run and shoot with those spring. Um, for sure. I do. I mean, like Max is right. Like these guys have more, like you look through it and you're like, all right, you know, they certainly have more catches returning, more experience. Mike Reed Leach always spread the ball around. So a lot of these guys and like Tay Martin's year last year, like he was bad. I mean, he had a bigger year. Arcanado really took a lot of his touches, um, you know, last year. Uh, I, I, I like the talent at Washington state. I would, I would put Washington ahead if only because I think Kate Otten is going to be a monster. And I think Washington has done a really good job developing tight ends. Um, I'd like to see Nakua, you know, like, you know, prove it consistently on the field. Um, they, they do have some guys that you like that they've recruited. Um, you know, there there's, I mean, I'm not madly in love with the Donovan hire, but I, I, I think that Washington's got some, you know, got some player, you know, got some players that could work out. Um, that said, like, I still fully expect like Washington state's wide receivers statistically to have better seasons than everybody on Washington's team <laughs> with the exception, maybe the tight end. And I think it's the Washington fan base was making this argument, whether it was right or not. I do think there's some validity to it where you don't see the numbers with the younger guys because the older guys were starting and they were underwhelming. And so you had Aaron Fuller, who who's legitimately good. Andre Bacellia, who I wasn't as impressed with. And Chico McClatcher, um, who, who was injured. I actually would kind of throw him out. They're losing him, but he wasn't playing as big of a factor. But it's always that like back and forth of, yeah, but these guys couldn't break that roster for a while. But I, I think that they did later in the season. And I know Puka Nakua had some injury issues and stuff. But it seemed like the younger guys were starting to fill into that role as the season went along. Um, I don't know. I just tend to be a little bit more like optimistic, but there is, there is a number of proven commodities at Washington state. So um, I don't know. Have the last word there, Max. What do, what do you think? I'm still going to go Washington state. Like I think, like I said, like Washington has potential, but the difference, and I mean, Rob brings up a good point that Washington, um, their wide receivers based off potential. I mean, it's, it's hard to argue that any of the Washington state wide receivers like you would take their uh, yeah. their careers and put them in Seattle and, th- and that they would do better. But I, I, I guess I trust Washington State's depth more. And I guess for their system, 
well, granted, it, it is run and shoot now, so it, it will be interesting to see how they adjust. But I think the fact that they have like four uh, guys who who have experience from last season all returning, especially because of all the wide receivers they're going to need on the field at once, I think that that's important. But with Nakua and Otten, it like is Otten is nowhere nearly as explosive as a Hunter Bryant. Like I feel like he's more like Otten is probably like their best blocking tight end that they've had. Uh, even better than Drew Sample, I, I would think, um, who went like second round at the Bengals a couple of years ago. Um, I'm not sure how Otten will be in the receiving game, especially as one of the top options. But as a blocker, he's the best blocking tight end in the conference. I agree with you on that. He certainly isn't Hunter Bryant, but the way that he was able to just add a tremendous amount of productivity last year and the year before that too. He kind of came out of of nowhere the previous year and was able to step forward. Like I think he's 100% going to be the the tight end at Washington and the fact that he's not splitting time with Bryant, like I would be surprised that he like if he got under 400 yards, would you be surprised, Max? Uh, under 400, I, I wouldn't be that surprised. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I think he's going to be around four to 500. Um, and it's just cause he's on the field full time and I don't think he's going to play a major, um, he's not going to be the target, but I just think that, you know, that those big scene passes or whatever, where like they get 20 yards, like, I think that's going to happen fairly often just cause he's on the field and he's able to block and able to catch. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm more bullish on, on Otten. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I think he's gonna. I, I think he he's a guy that even though he's not he's not ex- explosive, he doesn't have the kind of athleticism. I do think he's a smart player and he finds pockets, um, and that's invaluable for a tight end. Like, and if he's on the field and and it is out there running routes and not just blocking, then he's gonna have his catches. Looking at the remaining teams, I think it would be fair <laughs> to say that there is a substantial drop off right between the teams that we've discussed and the remainder. Is that fair? Yes. Uh, yes. But I mean, so, like some of these teams have very interesting pieces, but the depth in the wide receiver room is a concern. Yeah. Let's get to the remaining teams and talk about some of those interesting pieces right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. We have a number of teams left to talk about in regards to their wide receiving core. And... Uh, I'm <laughs> looking at them and some there's some really interesting pieces and I don't quite know where to start. So Max, let's, let's open with you. Who would you have first on this next tier of wide receivers? I am going to go a little off the board. I'm going to go Utah. Oh, um, why was that? All right. Yeah. Okay. I, I really, really like Brant Keithy. I, I think that he is, I, I mean, just down the stretch last year, he was a total game breaker. Uh, Britton Covey, who redshirted, uh, he has shown uh, capability of, of being may- maybe like a, a top-tier uh, second option or even a borderline number one option. And I think between those two and, and the upside of those two, 
um, that that's definitely strong enough to lead that next tier. But I mean, they also have other options. Like they, they have Samson Nakua. Um, they have uh, Brian Thompson and both of those wideouts have good size. I just, I think Utah has some really interesting pieces. I loved Brian Thompson. I think that he's going to be somebody that's going to move up the depth chart. And he came on the scene, young guy. He has the size. Um, like you mentioned, Max Samson Nakua, um, Solomon Ennis was really their last like blue chip prospect that they've brought in in the last like two or three years. And was, I mean, he was fine. He had about 158 yards, but the fact that he didn't rise up the depth chart, I think highlights how good Brian Thompson is. And the fact that Samson Nakua, who by the way has like, if you're at a computer right now or on your phone, like stop what you're doing and go onto ESPN and just look up his headshot on ESPN. It's amazing. It's like, he's just so excited to be on like the ESPN webpage. (laughs) It's really good. Um, But yeah, I think there's some interesting talent there. I'm trying to like look at some of the other teams to compare them to. And it's, it makes it difficult because some other teams have Rob more potential on paper, but us or Utah has like, I was actually pretty impressed with how they were able to move the ball down the field through the air for the first time in a while. So that was, that was encouraging. And most of that production returns, they really don't lose anybody. Damari Simpkins takes off uh, Terrell Perryman, who uh, really wasn't super productive anyway, is gone, but they, I mean, the, basically the band's back together, you know, minus the lead singer in their quarterback. So just yeah. interesting to see who's thrown to them. Well, they, they get Britton Covey back. Um, I mean, they, I think Keithy and Covey are probably, if you look across the remaining schools in the conference, probably the probably your best one-two punch, if you will. I mean, they, like what what Utah lacks is a solid number one receiver that you can you know put out there on the outside and have go up and get the ball, right? Um, and they 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 really I can't remember the last time Utah had that player. Um, yeah, they, like I I might have put ASU here with the fact that I mean they basically signed like I mean on pure talent alone just in 2020 asu put themselves closer to like oregon and washington in terms of like pure wide receiver talent than (laughs) (laughs) um but it's also young right like but as far as like guys that are you know proven returning experienced players like yeah i I think you can make an argument for utah here i think that it, it the trouble is is like I mean, the line was really so bad last, I mean, this is like, I mean, you shouldn't knock the wide receivers for this, like, but how, you know, how, how good are they going to be? I do think that they're going to have an upgrade throwing the ball um, at QB, even as good um, as Huntley was last season for long stretches. Like, I do think that um, they're going to be able to, uh, to put it together a little more throwing the ball um, with the South Carolina transfer. Yeah, and that's not to throw ASU under the bus. They had a monster, monster wide receiving class. And it's one of the things that we, I think, have underappreciated. Like, we kind of poo-pooed, oh, they they recruited all these, uh, you know, skilled position pieces, but they didn't really recruit in the trenches. That doesn't matter when we're just talking about wide receivers. Like, there are some really, really legit guys here. LaVon Bunkley-Shelton had offers from Ohio State, Oklahoma. Elijah Badger, who had, like, offers from USC, Oregon, Michigan, and Florida. Johnny Wilson had LSU, Georgia, Michigan offers like these like they have a legit class but we just haven't seen it yet and i think that the reason asu is so low down the list is because when you take a look at the higher tier 
programs like they've recruited at that level and they have the production i think that's the biggest difference so i wouldn't be surprised to see asu climb up the rankings next year as some of these younger guys see the field Uh, but there's there's just blue chip talent that's already on the field and blue chip talent behind them with some of the other tiers but max would you put asu next or who would you who would you line up under utah yeah i mean arizona state just all the incoming talent they have in and Frank Darby, he is a really strong yeah. deep threat, yeah, yeah. like incredibly. He might be the scariest deep threat in the conference. And, and not that he's a one-trick pony, but he's just a total burner. And he made a lot of big plays last year. Um, and yeah, I, I'm really interested to see just though, I mean, given the fact that schools have shut down um, spring practice with these with so many freshman wide receivers coming in for Arizona State, yes, they're talented. But this is where they really need that time to create that rapport with Jaden Daniels. And and that's why I can't put them in the second tier with those other schools. They they, they have a new OC. Yeah. You know, like they're installing a new offensive system. You still have Jaden Daniels, who's not the most accurate quarterback in the world. You know, there's a lot to, I mean, just on pure talent alone, there's a lot to like. But like, I don't know that these guys are like going to make a huge impact in this season. But they do have Chris Hodges, 6'8", 230, man. He's going out. You talk about jump balls. <laughs> That's the guy to look out for. Um, I, I, it's funny because I saw him on the field a couple times. I'm like, yep, that, that's a fade. They're going to throw the fade. And then, of course, they threw the fade. You know, I want to compare ASU to – I'm taking a look at, at the remaining schools here. We have Oregon State, Colorado, Arizona, and UCLA. Who would be the closest and to Cal. ASU? Oh, and Cal. Yeah, I always forget Cal on that front. Um, and it's interesting when you look at Cal, it's different because it, it's almost it's almost similar to um, like Arizona's numbers where <laughs> the quarterback was just so bad, um, you know, when Garbers was not on the field that it's hard to like, you don't. Yeah. it's hard to take those numbers is, seriously. Um, but uh, like, uh, I think it's Nico Remejo. Uh, Rem- how do you say, do you know how to pronounce his last name? Remigo? Yeah, I'll do that. Let's go with that. Why not? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the two the two Cal fans that listen to this podcast and follow me on Twitter, like, just, you know, send me the correction. Send me the phonetic. Yeah. Put it in a five-star review, and we'll make sure make sure to correct ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <put it> in. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Rob. Who, who would you put under? Let, let's put ASU under Utah. Who goes under uh, under ASU? So, in my – I mean, it's a – I think it's a toss-up between Colorado – and Arizona. And I say, so I'll give you the, I don't know. I mean, like, it sounds like I picked them two. I guess maybe I am. I don't, I don't know how to pick between the two on it because I like, I mean, I really like Katie Nixon a lot. Um, and I think Chiaverini has done a really good job of identifying good talent that um, for Colorado, I think he both in, in hitting the transfer market um, when they've gone and done that. And, and in recruiting, like he, he finds guys that are, um, you know, that may be a three-star guy, but are unheralded and, and maybe should have got a closer look. Um, so I, I like the talent that they generally have there under Giovarini. Um, I don't like him as a play caller, so I'm not that enthusiastic about them uh, there. Uh, I, if if Oregon State, they were originally supposed to get Devin Williams, um, and then he ended up going to Oregon. Um, but without Hodges, like, there's just... 
don't know. But so with Arizona, I would say I like some of the talent. I like Booby Curry, you know, some of the, the players they have. I like that Khalil Tate's not throwing to them anymore. And I think <laughs> that some of these guys are going to have bigger years um, in that system with Gunnell, you know, making quick decisions and getting the ball out. Um, yeah. And they, they're, they're all like Arizona basically returns everyone. Um, and, and returning production for wide receivers is pretty important. So I, I would maybe, I would maybe go Arizona here if only just because of you're swapping out Khalil Tate for Grant Canal. So the one player to keep a lookout for at Arizona is Jamari Joyner, who's six one two ten, and he was a converted wide receiver. And sometimes that doesn't work. And in this case, it really did. Like he, and you could tell that he was still figuring out the position. Like he is an excellent athlete and will be one of the top wide receivers in the country. Not in the country. I'm sorry, in the conference next year. Doesn't make mean that he's going to be top five, but he will be one of those consistent. Like, oh, Jamari Joyner yeah. caught another touchdown and 80 yards again. Like that that type of with with some explosive plays in between it. So somebody to look out for there. It's interesting when you look at Arizona. So Brian Castile is kind of that like old hand. Um, you know, he's fine. He averaged uh, about, or he got about 400 yards and a couple touchdowns. Um, you know, again, these Arizona numbers are a little bit hard to analyze because Khalil Tate was throwing to them. There's a couple guys that are small. Tavian Cunningham was a Juco transfer that ended up being really productive in his first game. And then there's some interesting lower blue chip prospects like Drew Dixon was yeah. a four star guy that has size um, and just really hasn't quite gotten there and i don't know if he ever will like this is his third year so we'll see if he explodes um booby curry was fine and i was i really wanted especially for wildcat radio um i had this pact where i was going to call him breast von curry every time he he did well and booby curry whenever he didn't do well and he basically didn't do well the whole year he just didn't see the field as much and he's a young guy it'll be interesting to see uh them but like i don't know max i what do you think about arizona's wider seeming core compared to a team like Colorado? I don't Arizona, like they have a couple interesting guys and I'm interested to see how they perform with Gunnell versus Tate just because Tate is so hit or miss. But I mean, these guys were grabbing like deep balls from Tate, but I, I think with Gunnell and a more uh, stable thrower under center that, that they, uh, Arizona has some guys, I, I think at, at wide out that can make a, uh, an impact in games. Um, Colorado, I'm, I'm with Rob. I really like Katie Nixon. Uh, and I would have put their wideout uh, room last year as number two, but obviously no Lubis Vishenal. Uh, that's a huge blow there. And Tony Brown, uh, who really emerged like two uh, two years in a row as somebody that was a really good target for them. He's gone also. One, one team that I'm actually, I, I feel a little bullish on, I think Cal's wideout group is pretty solid. Uh, they returned everyone outside of Jordan Duncan. And I think with Garbers, uh, when Garbers was healthy, that those wide receivers were making some plays. Um, so I would probably – and then UCLA, I mean, uh, from last week, you guys obviously uh, know how much I, I love uh, Dimitri Felton. Uh, Kyle Phillips also uh, definitely had moments last year. Um, I don't know. It's it's really tough to separate those teams. I'd probably say like some so, some form of Arizona, Cal, Colorado, UCLA. I would probably have Arizona at the top of those. I would put UCLA under Arizona and above Colorado and Cal. 
um, just because Felton is really good and Kyle Phillips emerged over time there um, as a really solid talent. I mean, they both had more than 500 yards. I think Chase Coda was a top blue chip talent that um, he's had, a guy they're excited to get. Yeah, he's 6'4", 202, so he has some size, and there's like a pretty good mix there. And Jalen Irwin was was pretty productive as well. Plus, they've been bringing in some interesting guys. Um, Michael Azike is a uh, you know a top guy from 2018 and I, I don't know like I just I trust those the top four guys there more than I trust the top four at Colorado and I agree with you Max like it'll be interesting with Cal because I do think uh, Nico Ramigo was like really solid and he was also a blue chip guy that came in with some pedigree so it showed out on the field as well and he's still pretty young but the guys below him I just don't know I don't know like I'm I would really like to see it where I, I've at least seen that more with Arizona and more with UCLA. I, I think Cal, I mean, I, I like what some of what Cal has, but I mean, I got to see some of these guys prove it out with, I mean, we haven't, we, we need to see Garbers play more. Um, you know, we need to see what the new offense looks like um, with the new play caller. Like I, I need to see these guys like demonstrated on the field that they can do it um, because the last two years they have not been, I mean, they, they like when Garbers has played, you've thought, all right, like, you know, these guys can play. But, um, you know, when he has them, like they're, you know, like they're, the cow really struggles and they tend to disappear. Let's take a look at Oregon State here because it is, I would, I would put Oregon State and ASU as being in terms of like, uh, the direction that the program is heading and the perception of that direction is wildly different from Arizona and UCLA who are like the exact opposite. And it's different in a couple ways. I mean, ASU has been able to recruit incredibly well and, and bring on and really beat out major top tier programs. And there's a sense of positivity around that program and Oregon State's a little bit different. They, I think that they performed better than than most people thought, although we were really bullish on them, and rightly so, um, this past year. But they've been able to recruit from transfers, and they just continue bringing on really, really good players that um, were blue chip, or I wouldn't say blue, like they continue to bring on players that could potentially be very strong through the transfer market. And they do so again, they bring in Trey Lowe, who was a top 50 wide receiver out of Washington who can play right away. And then Trey Sean Harrison was the number four athlete of 2018. He transfers to Oregon state in addition to Ty John Lindsay, who was a top blue chip player at the wide receiver position. So yes, they lose Isaiah Hodgins and that's a really friggin' big deal. And they, they lose their tight end also, who was awesome. There is though, Rob, some interesting pieces on the roster um they're still last <laughs> so i don't want to like you know we're, we're not like giving a foot massage here but uh I, at least they're last with some interesting pieces that could emerge on the field yeah i mean there's some guys and you know there's you know isaiah hodgins wasn't a guy that you thought like coming in was was going to be you know he wasn't some major blue chip talent um I, I like what they do offensively and i think that some of these guys you know are you know somebody's gonna have to step up on these this team and, and you know, replace some of hodgins production um but they lose i mean it's not just on a wide receiver i mean oregon state loses a mountain of production on offense um they're gonna have some growing pains next season i think people sort of always assume that um growth is linear um, Oregon State might take a little bit of a step back next season. And I think as you go through the roster, you start to realize like how much they lost. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some things. And Oregon State's done well in the transfer market. 
um, there. So I, I do like, I mean, I, I think Trey Lowe is a guy that, uh, you know, could step in um, and they didn't really, you know, have somebody quite as dynamic in the slot um, and he could be that for them. Are you as bullish? I mean, <laughs> it's hard to be bullish when, the, when you're in last place. But Max, are you uh, optimistic about the the talent that they have? You know, transfers can always be a fickle pool to draw from, right? They're transferring for a reason. It's because they usually couldn't break through the roster, or there's some academic issues, or some personal issues, like um, clashes with the coaches and whatnot. But I mean, when you get three or four of them, like you got to hit on one of them, right? Yeah, but I mean, admittedly, I mean, based off of my ranking, I, I have them dead last. It's hard to be optimistic about this group. Uh, I just, with Hodgins was just, he was a legitimate All-American, not like first team, but like you, you, he could have been like a third team All-American last year, just how much of an impact he had on this offense. But with his departure and then uh, Luton's departure and now they're going to Jebbia, I just think that the passing offense is going to be a disaster this year and that Jonathan Smith, I mean, I, I, I have faith in him, but he has a tough task ahead of him for this season with this group. Yeah. If you're an Oregon state fan, you better pray that that saddleback Juco transfer is all he's been built up to be. Cause I just don't think you're going to get it in Jevia. <laughs> so hopefully, but although like Luton was interesting too, right? He was, I think a Juco transfer that ended up um, just really balling out. And, uh, but you know, like it's, it's tough to hit on those consistently. So um, I totally agree with you. But I was going to say, so one question, if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that we have had two teams so far, rank inside the top five of quarterback running back and wide receiver it'd be what usc oregon and who's the third no no oregon wasn't because we didn't have uh their quarterbacks top five oh well who do we got i have no memory (laughs) it's gotta be it's gotta be is it usc and washington no it's what stanford Stanford? Ah, oh man (laughs) (laughs) oh I mean, as bad as USC's offensive line play has been for the last, like, three or four years, like, Stanford's has even been worse. So it's like, oh. <laughs> so admittedly, though, with Stanford, they re- they return a good amount on their offensive line. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Bo- and both of their tackles, re- I mean, Walker Little, uh, he was uh, mentioned as, like, a top 10 pick uh, before he was hurt. Now he's back. And then their other tackle, too, like, he, he has NFL upside as well. And – the problem with Stanford's offensive line, like their pass protection was fine, but their run blocking yeah, was a total disaster. Yeah. And maybe Cameron Scarlett out and an influx of these young freshmen and sophomore running backs, that maybe that could help a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I was just surprised to see that Stanford, that that's the only other team. But USC was a given. But Stanford as the only other team in the top five for all those three things. I'm just offensive line. I don't know if they're going to make. Well, they might make the top five actually with what they're returning, but we'll see. I'm going to put a big fat asterisk on that because I was not on board with ranking Stanford's running backs in the top tier. I just if you can't get past Cameron Scarlett, I I don't think that. Um, I don't think you should be in the top tier. And most of those running backs weren't able to break the roster. Now they do bring in some really hardcore some blue chip guys. Junior, what's that? Emmett Smith Jr. Come on, I know. Yeah, the freshman of the year. <laughs> uh, they're gonna need. They're gonna need him. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's interesting. So.